Miracy. It was also interesting from the perspective of there's always another way to do things, right? I think maybe one of the reasons people get hung up on marketing in their courses is feeling like there's this way that you are supposed to do it, right? Or what the gurus tell you to do and you have to learn and do it that way or it's never going to work. But Tad has done all kinds of unconventional things to market his courses and they've been really successful. Hello and welcome to Course Lab, the show that teaches creators like you how to make better online courses. I'm Danny Eaney, the founder and CEO of Miracy, and I'm here with my co-host, Abe Crystal, the co-founder of Rizuku. Hey there, Danny. In each episode of Course Lab, we showcase a course and creator who is doing something really interesting with their course, either with the architecture of the course or the business model behind it, or both. Today, we welcome Tad Hargrave. Tad is a business coach, author, and the creator of Marketing for Hippies, a non-traditional marketing methodology. He shares these methods in his course, The Meantime, a 30-day challenge course. Great to have you here, Tad. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So, Tad, we go way back, but for the benefit of everyone who's listening, who are you? What do you do? How did you come to be doing it? And you know, then you can tell us kind of how all of that slowly made its way to the world of online courses. Sure. Well, so I'm from Edmonton, Alberta. I grew up here and right out of high school, ended up working for a leadership development franchise in town where I learned a lot of the typical sales stuff. Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Tom Hopkins, Tony Robbins, very sort of pushy, aggressive marketing stuff. And I was 18. And so I kind of drank that Kool-Aid and did it, but it didn't work, number one, and it felt terrible. So I really backed away and I hung out more with anarchists and went to the anarchist protests again, you know, trying to stick it to the man. And then I still had friends, though, who were struggling in business and they, they wanted to do some green business, some ethical, holistic business. And even though some of the stuff I'd learned had been this, the ethics I'd no longer agree with, there was really good stuff in there. And I knew more about marketing than them anyway. So we'd sit at the bar and I'd give them ideas for their marketing. And finally, after a decade, kind of unpacked what it was about that marketing that it felt so bad. And so now that's what I teach is how to market your business in a way that not only works and is effective, but also feels genuinely good to everybody involved. So first, it was the live workshops. My first workshop had three people in it. It was a two-day workshop. Only two of them came back on the next day because it was so terrible. And uh, it got better over time, and I toured it. So initially, the model was I had a free intro workshop and then a a weekend workshop. And that weekend workshop was offered on a pay-what-you-can basis. There's a whole long story, but that just ended up being financially a better model for me to do. And then I started expanding. The first online course I did was basically I, I realized, well, what if I took my weekend workshop and took all the content and moved it into a six-week thing and divided it up. And I had 40 people sign up at $200 per person, which blew my mind that I just made $8,000. And what further blew my mind was, with regret, was I could have done that years before and it just hadn't occurred to me. It's now developed into there are four 30-day programs I do live once a year. One called The Meantime about cash flow tactics, marketing for hippies 101 about how to make marketing feel good, the kind of fundamentals point of view marketing about how to market your perspective, not just your product or service, and then hub marketing, more the mechanics of how to get found. And then ultimately, that's turned into my membership program, where, you know, people who are at the pro level get all those for free. So yeah, that's how it's gone. So I'm curious about the format. 
you know, your first course was a six-week course. Yes. And now you've evolved to a 30-day structure. What's behind that shift in structure of the course? Well, you know, it's interesting because a 30-day course, you can do five weeks in it. So it's only one less. Or 30 days, maybe it was just the, the sound of it sounds easier. 30 days rather than six weeks. It's a little less intimidating for people to sign up for. And uh, also for me, because I do four of them a year, if it's six weeks long, that's suddenly a really good chunk of my year. That's like half my year, basically, teaching courses. So 30 days also allows me the freedom to have you know one month on, two months off, one month on, two months off. Got it. So it's not about like, you know, you found the pedagogy works better or anything like that. Danny, I'm flattered that you think I have a pedagogy. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You've been doing this for a long time. You're on like year 10 of your meantime program. You've been very transparent about different iterations of how you've evolved the course. I'd love to hear what are the things you tried that worked? What are the things you tried that didn't work? What are the things you tried that you thought would work but didn't and vice versa? Tell us about some of those evolutions. In terms of the content? The content, the business model, the delivery, you tell me. Anything that's interesting for course creator listeners. With the meantime program, I realized that people struggle with their cash flow. And one of the reasons I saw that people were struggling, people just, they're flailing, they're desperate. And I realized the first thing I needed to deal with was the desperation. And so the first week, the homework is go tidy your room, basically. Go clean up your physical space. That's the only exercise. And so I suppose that's one thing I've learned is if you're going to do a 30-day course, just ideally give them one exercise. There's just one thing to do in between every call. And people will go tidy their space and come back transformed, energized, liberated in some way. The second exercise I say, great, now. Week two, you're just going to create other space in your life, in your calendar, just how much more space can you free up? And that would be it. And then the next call, we talk about tactics, cash flow tactics. And I would say, great, now you're going to pick one. And I get an ebook with which has like 36 specific how to make money right now tactics. And I say, you're going to pick one. And I'd make sure they tell me in the group, we had a Facebook group and they would, you know, comment there. And then the next week would be long term. But of course, Facebook is largely a graveyard of Facebook groups that were created and then abandoned. So I've just tried to streamline it and simplify it. So for most of my 30-day programs, we get on Zoom and we have the Zoom chat and there may be documents and follow-up things I send them, but basically it's just in Zoom. Tad, I'd love to hear more about the pay-what-you-can structure that you worked with. I don't know if you're still working with it, but you, you worked with it for a while. I know you also have a really interesting beyond guarantee. Can you talk about those things from a business model perspective? Sure. So when I first started doing my workshops, I went down to Fairfield, Iowa. This was one of the first weekend workshops I did. And when I arrived, my computer had crashed the month before and I hadn't been able to market it. And so in two intro workshops, one had three people show up, one had 16 people show up, and nobody had signed up for the weekend workshop. And I was so depressed with this. And it's just, it's an embarrassing thing to be teaching a marketing workshop that nobody has signed up for. So at the second intro workshop, I just rolled the dice. and I said, look, I can't remember how much I was charging, but let's say it was $2,000 for the weekend. That included a bunch of one-on-one follow-up. I said, I'm here. Nobody signed up for the weekend. We'll take out all the follow-up. Why don't you just come and pay whatever you want to pay at the end? Just pay what you can like a street performer. And 12 people signed up right there. 
And I thought, well, that was easy. I didn't have to do any big song and dance and any heavy pitch. And so I started doing Pay What You Can workshops. Again, the model was a free intro with a Pay What You Can weekend. And it just was so easy. But I told people, I said, look, don't get used to this. I don't know if this works. I don't know if I'll continue with Pay What You Can. So enjoy it while you got it. But it kept working. It kept being so easy. And I realized at a certain point, there were actually more selfish reasons to do Pay What You Can than selfless. There's all the selfless reasons around, you know, making it accessible in a way that preserves people's dignity and all of that. But at the selfish level, it was even better. It was great for word of mouth. I think people feel more comfortable telling their friends about a program that's pay what you can than something that's, you know, a million dollars, especially for my community, the hippies. It resonated really well as a pricing structure. And then the better than money back guarantees for the meantime, right? The first time I did the meantime program, I charged $100 US and I got 120 people in it. And the guarantee was, I said, look, this is a program about cash flow. Here's the guarantee. I guarantee you will make at least $100 profit. Either you will make that because you take what I apply and you make at least $100 in new profit that you wouldn't have had otherwise from what you learn. Or if you don't, if you apply yourself, it doesn't work. You go through 30 days. It just doesn't help you at all. I will not only refund the $100 you paid, I'll send you $100 out of my own pocket. So you will make $100 profit on this. And I think that was probably a big reason why the numbers were so high. And also that it was the first time I'd launched it to my list. So I was you know, probably skimming the cream off the top on that. When you're on the sales page for the meantime, which I think is marketingforhippies.com slash meantime 30 day, when you go to purchase, it actually doesn't allow you to purchase right away. It interrupts it with what I call an are you sure page. Because what I was finding was people were asking for refunds. It wasn't that the program wasn't good. For the most part, they were saying, I didn't realize this used a Facebook group. I'm not on Facebook. I make products. I didn't realize it was so tailored to service providers, or I didn't realize there was homework in between. And what I realized was happening was people actually weren't reading the sales letter because I tried the second year. So I'll just make the sales letter more clear, but people still were missing those bits. And this was costing me money. And so I created the Are You Sure page. And basically, there's a video where I say, hey, thanks for your interest in the meantime program. My guess is, if you're like me, you didn't actually read the whole sales letter. And there were some important things in that. So I've taken the most important bits in terms of filtering and you discerning if it's a fit. And I've put them below. Please do read it now. And then if you still want to join, I'd be happy to have you. And if not, hopefully we'll see you down the road somewhere. It almost sounds like the approach you're taking in both marketing and the courses is to sort of strategically introduce barriers or friction at certain points. Yes. Yeah. Because number one, they're going to be the squeaky wheel that's going to need all the grease, which is going to distract you from paying attention to the people who the course is a fit for. They're probably going to bum out the vibe in the group, be snarky about us. It's just no good to have those people there if it's not a fit. So if everyone you're getting is perfect, no need to do this. But I found in a number of cases, people would be getting clients and participants who were not good or not a good fit. And so, yeah, to me, there's a real need for this kind of thoughtful filtering. Any, anything from that just sort of in the trenches experience that you might want to share with other course creators or, you know, are the things that you've learned by doing those workshops, by doing all these challenges and courses that you think might translate to other people who are looking to have more engagement, have, you know, students participating more in their programs and so on? Well, it seems to me 
and I don't imagine this is new for anybody, but the, you know, a style of education that's just lecturing and teaching, here's the content, is not that engaging. I mean, if it's a very niched topic, of course, it will be more engaging. One exercise I've done that I think has been very helpful for my day-long workshop is when people break for lunch and they come back, I'll have people get into small groups. And actually, so this is the evolution of it because I, I wanted them to like, well, hey, you're just digesting lunch. So now how about digest what you've gotten from the day? So get in groups and talk about what you've gotten from the day so far. And the challenge was the conversations weren't that good. <laughs> I, I sat in on some. I was like, oh, this is terrible. We're just talking about the cafe down the road. You know, they wouldn't stay on topic. So I said, okay, instead of that, what I'm going to invite you to do is to share they were at the workshop with you, so they don't need a recap, but maybe share some examples of ways you would apply this in your business. And I sat in those conversations were a bit better. And then what I finally came to was, I would say, I'd give everyone two minutes. And I'd say, so I'm going to invite you to think about examples you can remember of the things we talked about this morning. Real world examples. Maybe a business you shop at. It could be in a personal relationship, but something that's a, an actual example of it. And make a list of those. And then you're going to get into small groups and you're going to share those examples. So just giving people the time to reflect and make a list and then share. When I sat on those, then people were actually going through their lists and sharing these real examples. So having people think about the examples outside of what I was teaching them felt important in terms of anchoring it in so that it locked it in that, you know, oh, I've seen this in multiple places. And, you know, stories are always the best way to learn. So I try to use a lot of stories when I'm teaching. Here's this example, this example, this example. But sometimes maybe it'll be an example from somebody in the group that will help. I think also doing the hot seats and the case studies is a really powerful way for people to learn. If you're going to hot seat somebody, there's an art to how do you work with them in front of the group while simultaneously then translating it for everybody else? You know, how do you make it relevant to the rest of the group? Not just that that person got some coaching. But it's good to pause every once in a while and say, okay, that this thing that this person's struggling with, anyone else struggling with this, right. And so this thing I'm suggesting here, here are other examples of this. Here's other ways this could translate. And sometimes even, okay, let's all pause. Everyone do that exercise. Everyone think about that. So there are ways to take the kind of kernel of this hot seat and popcorn it into something that's more useful for the group. And one of the best workshops I ever went to, there was this international business student group. and it was somebody teaching all the people who were stepping into a certain role in the local groups. And his whole workshop, he just stood at the front and he said, okay, so we know what the topic is. You need to learn how to be the VP external of your local group. So what are your questions? And he just wrote the questions down at the front on a flip chart. And then he just went through them. You know, and you could also do the dot-mocracy thing where I've done that, where I've taught workshops. And I say, you know the topic. What do you want to know? And then people gave the questions and I had people vote. You know, everyone gets five dots, put them where you want to. And I just worked through the questions in that order. What I liked about it was it's just guaranteed relevance. Now, the challenge, of course, is people don't always know what they don't know yet. They don't even know the questions to ask. Um, but it is a useful format at some point where you just stop and say, okay, what are your questions? Because the hardest part for people, there's the abstract learning of the theory, but then there's the translation. And that's always the hardest part, is how do they translate this into their own situation, uh, even if they get the theory. And there's just no um, substitute. Oh, you know, one other thing we've started doing 
in my membership, and this is something I think people could think about in designing courses, is can you create spaces for the group to support each other? So two formats we've been using. One is called the community collaboration calls where people can join the calls. They're broken off into Zoom rooms of four people each, and each of them gets 15 minutes of the time of the group where they can share, here's where I'm stuck, and the group offers their support. And we're doing copy clinics as well, a similar format. They can get together. They're broken off into groups of four, and they can say, here's a headline I'm working on. I'd love some feedback. So there are ways that you can create structures that they can be supporting each other, giving feedback to each other that doesn't require you there. Now, of course, you being there probably be much more useful, but um, you know, this can still be a, a support in the background. Nice. That was really thorough. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. I don't have any other questions. That was really great. Yeah, thanks, Tad. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. You're welcome. Tad Hargrave is the founder of marketingforhippies.com. You can find out more about him and his upcoming iteration of The Meantime over at marketingforhippies.com. Now stick around for my favorite part of the show, where Abe and I will pull out the very best takeaways for you to apply to your course. lots to talk about here. Definitely different, right? I mean, the first thing I guess that jumped out at me about Tad's work is, is just kind of how real it seems, right? And how authentic he comes across as in, you know, the teaching that he does and how he tries to help people. I guess that explains why he's so good also at getting people to join his workshops and courses. Yeah, I thought, you know, that there were a lot of really interesting business model insights, but I also kind of appreciated the there's a certain humility of, you know, oh, you know, I'm not an expert in pedagogy. I don't really know. All I do is this. Then he goes on for like 10 minutes, all the great things he's doing. Like, you know, all the best practices that we would talk about, you know, flip classroom and make sure the content is relevant and allow people to review stuff in advance and look at different ways to facilitate group interaction, et cetera. So a lot of really good, really good nuggets there. Yeah. It's funny to hear Tad say that, you know, he doesn't consider himself an expert in pedagogy, but it, it's... But he has I mean, been teaching and facilitating for decades. Exactly, right? I mean, in some ways, it, it's characteristic of that. There's sort of this legacy model of the world, right? Where, as you've talked about, it's credentialism, right? That only if you have, like, the right sort of degree and the right pieces of paper and the right sort of field are you, like, an expert in that area, right? As opposed to this organically developed expertise that comes kind of bottom up. And, you know, I wonder if that inhibits some people from developing their own course ideas, right? Or kind of leaning into their roles as teachers or facilitators. They feel like they don't have, you know, those credentials. But, you know, Tad's example shows that you can become a master teacher just through experience. And there were a lot of really good specific insights. So, you know, we don't need to recap all of them. The one that I think is really worth calling out is in structuring his 30-day course, the homework of the first week is just tidy your room, create some physical space. And the homework of the second week is create space in your calendar. And there's a lot of powerful insight there in terms of like, don't necessarily dive into the content, start with setting people up to succeed with the content. And that goes a really long way. Yeah, that was a pretty fascinating example. You know, obviously, we talk about setting people up for success and like having, you know, small wins. So people have a sense of progress in your course. Um, but I'd never heard it 
framed or approached in quite that way where you're almost getting people into momentum and action by having them do something that's a bit tangential to the aim of the course itself, which is a pretty interesting way to approach it. And obviously, in terms of the business model, the really cool innovation there is the pay what you can structure, which he's, I mean, he discussed it at length, we don't need to kind of recap, you know, do this, do that, because he did that very well. And he has a resource about that. So people who are interested can Google Tad Hargrave, pay what you can, and they'll find that resource, which is a pay what you can structure, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, it was also interesting from the perspective of there's always another way to do things, right? I think maybe one of the reasons people get hung up on marketing their courses is feeling like there's this way that you are supposed to do it, right? Or what the gurus tell you to do, and you have to learn and do it that way, or it's never going to work. But Tad has done all kinds of unconventional things to market his courses, and they've been really successful. So it's just kind of a reminder that just because you know you hear of things that are kind of heavily hyped and working, it doesn't mean that that's the right approach for you necessarily. Right. And it's very important to, you know, even if you're going to go with the best practices, the so-called best practices, which are a good place to start, that doesn't absolve you of the responsibility to be like, okay, so I'm going to do what this or that expert is saying, but what's the logic here? How does this make sense? Then I'll try it and I'll see the results. And how does that influence my understanding? Because a big part of what we should be trying to accomplish with anything we do is learning to better understand through that process so that next time we can do it a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I really liked his marketing framework of you know getting attention and filtering and reducing risk. I think that you do essentially have to keep marketing to your course participants to continue to earn their attention, right? But also keep them focused on the right things. And in a sense, you also have to reduce risk, right? You have to make people feel like, hey, it's okay to take action and experiment. And there may be some learning and failure involved, right? Like most courses where you're doing anything interesting, it's not going to be like completely easy or perfect the first time, right? So there is an element of risk in learning that course creators have to address. So it's a pretty cool framework to add to people's toolbox. That's all I got. Great. Okay, you want to read us out? Thank you for listening to Course Lab. I'm Abe Crystal, co-founder and CEO of Riziku, here with Danny Eaney, founder and CEO of Miracy. Course Lab is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which also includes Just Between Coaches, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode of Course Lab was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. Danny Eaney is our executive producer. Thanks again to Tad Hargrave for telling us about his work. For more info on him and his courses, head on over to marketingforhippies.com. To make sure you don't miss the really great episodes coming up on Course Lab, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a star review. It really does make a difference. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All right, are you ready? Wait, what's my cue? It's a behind the scenes kind of thing. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. I'm Melinda Cohen and your host for this show. I also know that I'm listening when, again, my mind is relaxed. So I can almost sense that I'm listening on multiple levels.
That's a great framing. That's a that's a really great way to think about it. Um, I think so, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I think that something that is very dangerous is for people to think that being a great coach comes from having the credentials. One has nothing to do with the other. So again, part of it is just you know either through questions or asking what they've tried, or sometimes it's you know the forest for the trees thing. My favorite part of having the hard conversation is. Ooh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Okay, so while I love what's on the other side, I think navigating through that conversation is my favorite part. Yeah, because we're not there necessarily as coaches to provide solutions. We're there to guide our people towards solutions. And I don't know if it's you know societal pressure or peer pressure, but we don't want to look like we don't know what we're doing. I want to help and support coaches so that they can evolve into their greatness. My desire for the show is if I could scoop up all of the coaches and bring them into my living room and bring up the topics that leave crinkles in our forehead so that we can fully understand what it means to show up in our greatness, fully confident so that we can build better businesses, so that we can be better coaches, so that we can make a lasting impact on this world collectively and we want to rise to that level. That being said, you do want to set yourself up and your clients up for success by making sure that there is clarity around their expectations and your expectations as to how you can help them. People have to know a little bit about what you offer. Otherwise, how do they know that they need what you can help them with in terms of that transformation? And I love having the conversations and navigating the topics that keep us at the forefront in a time with what I call the results revolution. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to start by saying that this is a really good problem to have, right? So if you have someone who's resisting your price, it means they're really interested in working with you. The thing is, sometimes it becomes negative. It becomes toxic. I've been in the coaching industry for almost 20 years now. And over these years, I have seen everything behind the scenes in our industry, everything that works, everything that doesn't work. I've seen the evolution of our industry and of what it means to be a coach. I just want to say to all the coaches out there, you know, matching who you are to the kind of coach that you want to be is just a practice. Do you want to add some parting words? No, I think you did great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, this is absolutely the tone, the feel, the everything. Okay, so I'm going to stop the recording now. <laughs> Why are you stopping the recording? <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a wrap. That is going to be an amazing session.